Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property, it's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on Fantasy Baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. to Fantasy Baseball Today. Frank Stample joined by the Chris, the Chris's Towers and the Welsh. Today on the show, we're going to recap Chris Towers' Tout Wars draft. This year's blank. Who is this year's Julio Rodriguez? Who is this year's Spencer Strider? The answer is probably nobody, but let's have some fun. And what's the word with the Welsh? We'll get some updates from out there in Arizona where apparently it's been snowing. What the heck is going on, Welsh? <laughs> I mean, you got the mood. You like where I'm like vibing. If everyone on the video is watching on the YouTube, I was just doing a little bit of the hula and everything like that. It's nothing close to that out here. <laughs> I got in my car. It was 30 something degrees this morning. Drove out to Scottsdale where it was 40 something degrees. It, the mountains were covered in snow in Phoenix and Scottsdale, and I walked along Salt River Fields where the Rockies play on the grass, which was all wet, fields are destroyed, and I stepped in snow <laughs> on a baseball field in Arizona. <laughs> it is the wildest thing, and this is not the first time in spring training this has happened. So I'm just going to assume, guys, hopefully you guys have me here all year, that in July or August, I'll be reporting about how I went to a complex level game in 135 degree weather. Because I assume it's all going to turn that we're having this winter. It's never been this cold in spring training since I've lived in Arizona. And I've lived here for 25 years or so. It's crazy. 
That is wild. I saw some videos of cacti covered in snow, and I'm like, yeah. what is going on out in Arizona? Crazy stuff. I'm headed out to Florida this weekend, Palm Beach for First Pitch Florida, labor drafts as well. So hopefully there's no snow. Towers, what's up, buddy? How you doing? I'm good. It's, you know, roughly the same temperature in New York City as it is in Arizona today. So that's weird. <laughs> weird. Uh, so, you know, we, we don't have any snow. No, no, we do not. It, we actually have a late start going here on YouTube because we just wrapped up the Scott White Dynasty League, which I tweeted about it. Some people were like, oh, you should live stream it. No, we shouldn't. I mean, oh this my thing, this thing no, will shouldn't. completely throw you off. Like Max Scherzer went for $72. Mike Trout Logan went for, Webb went for 60 plus. Yeah, I, so many players are kept in this league. It's a 24-team head-to-head points Dynasty League. So yep. the inflation is insane. It would actually do more harm than good. So I'm just and you don't want to see you didn't want to physically see me mad that I didn't get a four dollar Trevor May. Like you didn't. Nobody <laughs> wanted to see that at the end of the draft that I was furious and stomped the table that I didn't get for the four dollar Trevor May. You guys would have a miserable time watching that draft. Let's jump into uh, Towers' Tout Wars draft, and it's an interesting format too because. It's innings pitched instead of wins, saves plus holds instead of saves, and OBP instead of batting average. So very interesting format. Chris was drafting fifth in this one, started his draft with Mookie Betts, Fernando Tatis Jr. Again, you're you're the Tatis guy, Chris. That's Max, just my guy. Max Scherzer, George Springer, who does get a boost in OBP, and Justin Verlander. It's pretty sick start, I've got to say. What, what was your read while the draft was going on? I was really, really hoping, one, that Ronald Acuna would fall to me at number five because I do think in an OBP league specifically, you know, we talk about that tier of five at the top of our standard five-by-five drafts. I think in an OBP league, it's probably more like a tier of four with Julio Rodriguez and, you know, potentially Trey Turner, not necessarily belonging in that group, but I think it's more Julio Rodriguez. So... You know, I, I think the top four there, you you swap out either Trey Turner or Julio Rodriguez for Juan Soto. You go Juan Soto, Jose Ramirez, Aaron Judge. Ronald Acuna is the order it went in. I ended up with Mookie Betts. And really, it's it's just a spot where, you know, picking fifth, you kind of have your pick of that next year. I could have gone Rodriguez. I could have gone Turner. I could have gone Kyle Tucker. I went with Mookie Betts. I think he's a bit of a safer OBP bet than the rest of those guys. I think, you know, the the five category production is going to be there. And I'm pretty happy with how it worked out. Obviously, I would be much happier with it if Ronald Acuna was on my team. You know, the 390 OBP from 2021 would look really good. But I'm uh, I'm pretty happy with it. It's very similar to a lot of the teams that I'm drafting these days. I've got the two aces in Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. I've got Fernando Tatis, as I will, in a lot of leagues. And yeah, George Springer gets pushed up a decent amount in OBP as well. Yeah, I also saw that you took Emmanuel Class A in the sixth round. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll come back to you in a second. I want to ask Welsh. This is a saves plus holds league. So Scott and I have been telling people, basically wait on relievers. Obviously, Emmanuel Class A is still going to give you amazing ratios. There's no doubt about that. And he's probably going to be among the league leaders in innings pitch as well. But Welsh, what is your general strategy when it comes to saves plus holds leagues? Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you guys. I'm going to push them down. Though the only thing, though, is like this is down. Like in NFBC leagues, you're going to see Emmanuel Classe going in like, you know, the middle of the third at latest. Mm -hmm. So if you're getting him in the six, this is already kind of a push down. 
the only reason I actually would consider this is because like, like you said, I think the elite of the elite stand out. It's uh, Class A, it's Edwin Diaz, it's Josh Hader. Then I think there's actually a bigger gap, like tier gap between like what you would see in normal traditional saves. Because then there's just so many other players where like Clay Holmes. Clay Holmes to me is so much more valuable in a save holds league because right now he's a little bit dicey. Is he going to get mm-hmm. saves every day? They're talking about pushing him in different roles. Now it doesn't matter. And this is on the Yankees. So, you know, give me those type of guys. Evan Phillips, I would push up um, in a saves holds league. You know, we don't know if he's going to close for the Dodgers, but if he gets holds for the Dodgers, there you go. So like almost every reliever gets pushed back except the elite of the elite of the elite, which Towers did get. So I don't hate it, but I would probably have waited overall. But, you know, six round tempted for a class A is definitely. Yeah. One thing to keep in mind is it's saves plus holds. Saves are still the more valuable commodity of the top 15 in saves plus holds last season. Ten of them had fewer than 10 holds. So what it does, like you said, it, it kind of flattens the reliever pool. And it makes, you know, the, those elite guys who have more questions about how many saves they're going to get, like your Peter Fairbanks types, yeah. it makes them more valuable. But I do think, like, Emmanuel Class A didn't have a hold last year. He still led the league in saves plus holds yeah. with 42. So, like, I'm not saying he's going to get 42 saves again. That's hard to predict. But there's no question he's the closer. There's no question about his role. There's no question that he's very, very good. So... You know, it was it was more in that spot. I wasn't going in expecting to take a a reliever, and I, I don't think I took another reliever uh, until like the twenty third round, the twentieth round. I took AJ Minter. You know, I, I think the the thing to keep in mind if you play in one of these leagues is like it's easy to get caught up in the plus holds part of it, but the the league leaders and holds usually have like twenty five to thirty. Correct. The league leaders in saves usually have. 30 to 35 to 40. And so that's a bigger gap. So like the guys who aren't closers who tend to end up ranked pretty high are, you know, I think Paul Seawald ended up pretty high last year because he did both. Mm-hmm. It's either cl- closers all year or guys who end up closers and relievers. There's very few who are just holds guys who rank really highly there. So for that, it was mostly the volume, the value of where he found in the sixth round, 68th overall. I, I generally don't love taking those guys, but when the value's right, and I did it in, in a, one of our uh, roto drafts the other day, I did take Edwin Diaz as well. Um, you know, when the value's right, I'm okay doing it. I'll tell you one thing: I would have smashed taking Andres Munoz and Johan Duran in that because mm-hmm. there's no more risk yep. or care about whether it's holds or saves. So, like those guys, just for anybody that's since we're talking about it, I would boost those guys up, and they would be such massive targets for me because mm-hmm. both just huge, big fastballs. They might be the closers. If they're not, they'll be high leverage. Those guys are so much more valuable in saves hold. They're probably now. I'm thinking about it. They're the closest to that Devin Will where Devin Williams was like a top 10, easy top 10, maybe top eight saves and holds guy when he wasn't uh, the closer role, when he was Mm -hmm. in the eighth man spot. Those are kind of the same thing. I think both of those guys move up into the top 10. Chris, just one other question on this draft. Uh, Which players do you think see the biggest uptick? I know you just wrote about this for CBSSports.com. So OBP innings pitched, are there any very clear standouts for you in that format? Yeah, I mean, the innings pitched, We this is a Towers League where we swap out wins for innings pitched. And 
that I think it's still the, you know, the high end guys. I, I will say in this, the, the way I put my staff together, I really liked what my pitching staff looked like, but I probably could have used like one more good source of innings because I've got Scherzer and Verlander a little bit question about how many innings I'm going to get from them. I got Nestor Cortez, Chris sale, Dustin may from 12 to 14, which I, I love that run getting those guys in the 12th through 14th rounds. Uh, Tyler glass. Now he fell to 197th overall. I stopped the fall there. It's just throw him out there. See what happens. Mm-hmm. Grayson Rodriguez and Edward Cabrera were the other two starters. So like, I really need Chris Sale to give me like 180 innings to, to <laughs> yeah. really have a chance. And I probably could have like maybe instead of taking that flyer on Tyler Glass now or Grayson Rodriguez in the 17th or 19th, maybe it's like that's the spot to take Jose Barrios instead or something. You know, that that might be one change that I would have made. I would. This is more of a traditional Roto uh, staff that I would feel really good about. Um, as for guys who benefit specifically from OBP versus batting average. You know, I, I looked up the ATC projections on the Fangraphs auction calculator and actually the player who benefits the most in the move from OBP is Juan Soto, which not surprising. He's the most patient hitter in baseball, but it is kind of surprising that a guy who's already a first round player can benefit that much. He sees the highest dollar value increase, although not the highest rate increase. Uh, he goes from like the number eight hitter to the number two hitter, according to the ATC projections and OBP leagues. Joey Gallo goes from 171 to like 114 in those projections. And I mean, look, he hit 199 in 2021. If he can do that again and get back to hitting for power like he did with a 351 on base percentage, that's a really valuable player in an OBP league. He got a hit better than he did last year because he had a 280. OBP, but he's the kind of guy, and, and Max Muncy's another one, Carlos Santana. Um, you know, if those guys, if Max Muncy and Joey Gallo have bounce back seasons, they're very, very good in OBP leagues. I think Gallo actually did end up getting drafted in this league, as he should, uh, because, you know, he went 210. Uh, Muncy went 80, 91st overall. That's not bad. Which, yeah, that that seems like a really good deal. I I had him in my queue. I thought it was earlier because I I wanted to take him, and I feel like I should have just taken him before he went off the board, seeing as he went a little later than I thought. And then the biggest loser in the move, or the biggest loser from the move to OBP leagues is Salvador Perez, which makes sense. That guy might walk like 18 times next (laughs) season, but he's still a really valuable player. He's my catcher in this format. You do have to make up. But like, Catchers tend to not be great hitters, and that goes for OBP as well. So, you know, that's not the worst thing in the world. Alec Bohm, Michael Harris is another guy who probably goes from like a fringe second or third rounder to more like a fourth or fifth rounder. Luis Robert, uh, Tim Anderson, two guys who, you know, the fact that they make so much contact, the fact that they, you know, hit for good batting average, at least when they're going well, that helps the fact that they don't walk in your regular Roto leagues because. You know, like we talked about yesterday, you got the the bigger denominator. But in this format, obviously not walking is going to hurt you for those guys. Tim Anderson could hit 311 with a 340 on base percentage, 340 on base percentage. Still pretty good. 311, obviously, an elite batting, batting average. So, you know, that's it's it's fairly straightforward there. Trey Turner actually does drop, I, I think, from like that top five to kind of that second tier of hitters as well in OBP. So, 
you know, those are those are some of the names to keep in mind. You know, one note I want to add into that. Uh, I'm doing a tout. I'm in tout doing the draft and hold. And uh, one thing I noticed that ended up happening, and I think anyone could see it. We've talked so much about second base and like how like not great second base is. It's funny when you get into OBP, you know how you get like that clump of those four guys. It just expanded because people started pushing Jazz down. Ozzy pushes down. Simeon mm-hmm. goes down a little bit. And everyone was fighting over Altuve. I think Altuve might have gone in like the top 24. So what is a not great position where these guys will go within 10 spots of each other? It kind of became a little bit worse, at least from the top end. And then you get some guys that might qualify a little bit lower that boost up a little bit. It's just an odd thing that happens. And seeing specifically Ozzy and Jazz fall a decent amount in, uh, in those OBP drafts is something to pay attention to one other name i want to throw out there chris who you actually wound up with as your starting third baseman you just waited at the position yandy diaz last year yes. had a 401 on base percentage and it's 372 for his career so i know he's just kind of boring in a standard five by five but that obp makes him a a standout almost the way that like jeff mcneil or, or Luisa rise yeah. is a standout in batting average and in it's league. in the way i built my team with specifically like salvador perez but also like I've, I've got Salvador Perez, Byron Buxton, O'Neill Cruz. Like those three guys just may not be good on base percentage guys, even if they hit really well. So, you know, I did need like I've got Jesse Winker, who should be very good for on base percentage. I've got Yandy Diaz. So like hopefully that balance, like I can live with Yandy Diaz being a, a low power, you know, OBP specialist because I've got, you know, 30 plus home runs from my catcher. All right, if you want to read more about that, you can find it on Chris's Tot Wars Draft, being that, what we're talking about. You can find it on cbssports.com. Let's that should get be in, up Friday. Let's get into this year's blank, and we'll start with Aaron Judge. A lot of these players we've talked about quite a bit, so we can hit a few main points. If there's a player we haven't talked about, then obviously we could spend a, a few more minutes on that player. Who is this year's Aaron Judge? So the way I defined this was a hitter going outside the top 30 in ADP who could finish as the top player in fantasy and towers, we will start with you. Yeah, that's a tough one because like it's really, really hard to yes. finish as the top <laughs> player in fantasy, obviously, but especially like if you don't steal bases, it's especially hard. And Aaron Judge did it, you know, hitting 63 home runs. That helps. Uh, Jazz Chisholm is not going to hit 63 home runs, but he's going to steal a bunch of bases. And if you look at what he did on a per game basis last season, it was it was a 30-30 pace, right? 30, if I'm remembering correctly. 35-30 over 150 games. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty good. He was trying to find on the Rasball player rater on the per-game basis. He was very, very good. Um, so he's just a guy that, like, he's talking about going 40-40. I don't think that's a realistic projection for Jazz Chisholm, but, like, that's the kind of player he is. That's the kind of player he wants to be, and we've seen him play at a first round level for, you know, a, a stretch. I think he can do that for, uh, you know, if he can do that for longer and stay healthy, he's certainly got, you know, top five upside. Yeah, the ADP for Jazz Chisholm is 47.6. He's going just after Ozzy Albi. So you you most likely have to make that decision. And Towers, I believe you would take Jazz over Ozzy Albies, correct? You are. Uh, yes, I would. Yeah, I think Albies... Might be a little safer, but frankly, he's missed time with his own injuries over the past couple of seasons. So it's it's not like he's avoided that. And yeah, it looks like if I'm reading this correctly, Jazz Chisholm was he might have been like 
a top five player per game last season in uh mm-hmm. in five by five scoring. So yeah, pretty yeah. good. It's not far-fetched. And speaking of Ozzy Albies, I had this note for later on, but he plans to steal more bases this season and said, quote, I'll take 30-30. Yeah, I'll just, I'll take 30-30, right? But my plan is to go 40-40. So everybody's going 40-40 this year. 40-40 for you, 40-40 for you. Ozzy Albies plans to do it, and so does Jazz Chisholm. I do like paying attention to which players are actively saying they want to run more. That I think that is something we should pay attention to. Welsh, you are up, and this one, no surprise. I hope that everybody also understands when I say this name, that I came with great restraint from mentioning a certain outfielder for the Arizona Diamondbacks who's the fastest player in baseball, who I think could lead the league. And uh, I held great restraint by not mentioning Corbin Carroll, and I'm totally not also adding him to this list here. But (laughs) like Towers, I think this is a very, very hard thing to be the number one guy. So you almost have to go with like crazy extremes. I really like Jazz. I went with O'Neill Cruz, and that was your no surprise here. O'Neill Cruz, one of those guys who said um, he does have goals set, that he's looking to be a 40-40 guy. I've, I have found it immensely interesting that even the lowest of projections, you know, the Bat X still has this line of 23 homers and 18 stolen bases with the 248 batting average coming into this season, also a sub 30% K rate, and that's the median line that projections are putting out. These are not places that are going to be overly excited about, uh, especially a guy that had a 35% strikeout rate. But, you know, on the back end of the season, he was able to cut it down to 28. If you're looking at that player, this has actually been a big thing I've been talking about with O'Neill Cruz the whole time. When Steamer's projections were the first and only ones out, Steamer's projections literally were making him a first round player. I mean, when you look at 20 something stolen bases and close to 29 homers, The only guys that did that were first-round players, Jose Ramirez, Kyle Tucker. So if you want to talk about a player that can skyrocket there, if we get peak O'Neill Cruz where the strikeouts really do fall down, the only problem that's going to hold him back is like he's a pirate. So, you know, he might have 35 homers and like 54 RBI. That's the only (laughs) problem that I worry about. But, you know, it's going to be big homers, big stolen bases. If he does reach that like 30-30 range, he's going to be an easy top five. And I think he's one of the most obvious players if you're trying to paint someone with that first overall pick brush uh o'neill cruz and the crazy stats he could put up so yeah it was a pretty easy one the adp for o'neill cruz is 75 he's going right around dansby swanson xander bogarts i'm assuming you would take him over both of those uh yeah i have him quite a bit higher i have jazz quite a bit higher you were talking you asked towers would he take him over albies i will take jazz over all of them uh, all the second baseman he's my number one second baseman this year i definitely have some volatility in my game don't do what i'm doing in tgfbi where i am just going bonkers and i'm just <laughs> i'm experimenting with uh, some a little bit of volatility i do have o'neill cruz on that team i also have corbin carroll but uh yeah i'm i'm comfortable with a couple of these insane high upside guys, because I also think there's so many players that you can compliment with them. I mean, where O'Neill Cruz is like, there's also Corey Seager. If I, you know, I, you wouldn't probably take both of them together, but you know, I just think in each little tier of 10, there's just these really good floor players that I want to mix and match a few of these guys. Why not have this crazy upside? O'Neill Cruz legit could be a first round talent. If not the number one overall, if things go his way, by the way, the, uh, Rasball player Raider, I was able to find it. Among players with at least 200 plate appearances, it's Aaron Judge, number one, on a per-game basis. Jazz Chisholm, number two, mm. last season. There you go. That's pretty good. 
This year's Aaron Judge for me is going to be Luis Robert. I know he was a disappointment last year. I was all over him, and he did not come through, mostly due to injury. The performance was down, too, compared to where it was at in 2021. He's yet to play more than 98 games. But I think with this exercise, again, we're looking for volatility within players. And Luis Robert is exactly that, mostly from a health perspective. But if he gets back closer to the player he was two years ago, where he's hitting well over 300, he maintained the low strikeout rate last year. We know he hits the ball hard. He's someone who could run more with the increased stolen bases this season as well. Would not surprise me in the slightest if we get like a 330 homer, 20 steal season. And if Luis Robert does that, He's a first-round player. He's probably competing to be the, the top player in fantasy. I haven't drafted him yet myself because I kind of realize what the downside is as well, but also acknowledging the upside when it comes to Luis Robert. Let's take our first break here, and when we come back, we are going to do this year's Shane O'Mac on Fantasy Baseball Today. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck. Like a rugged half-ton Tundra, workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma, delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. And with new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. And when you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together. And nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back into Fantasy Baseball Today. Who is this year's Shane McClanahan? What does that mean? An obvious breakout starting pitcher who actually comes through. Remember, last season, I liked Shane McClanahan. A lot of people liked Shane O'Mac. And, it, you know, the, the helium... You know, the price kept rising as we got closer to the start of the season. So you had to play, pay a good price, but it was worth it because he was really, really damn good. Towers, we're coming back to you. Who is this year's Shane McClanahan? So I put Christian Javier, question mark, in parentheses. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that counts. He might be too high end. He might have already I almost picked him out. He I certainly did already break out. So it's mostly a question of whether he qualifies for this category. If he does, I'm going with Christian Javier. He's got the... High, high-end strikeout rate, you know, top five percentile in baseball. Good enough control. And, you know, it's mostly just a question of does he get to 170 innings this season? I think he can. And uh, he certainly has, you know, top 12 starting pitcher upside. I think that certainly qualifies for uh, Christian Javier. I think he's kind of like a poor man Spencer Strider right now, too. Strider is awesome. 
I'm not saying they're the same player. Like Strider's clearly better, but I don't know if they are different enough where they should be going three rounds apart in terms of ADP right now. So that's my uh, biggest selling point for Christian Javier and maybe uh, fading Spencer Strider. Welsh, you are up this year. Shane McClanahan, who you got? Yeah, I actually struggled a little bit. Javier was one I was choosing, and I almost went in a direction of a player that I think is really going to have a big bounce back, but I didn't feel like it fit that. Uh, that player was Blake Snell I was going to pick, but I didn't feel like it fit the mold. So I took George Kirby, who has been someone I've been pretty big on. A um, little over 9K per nine this past year. Elite walk rate, 1.52 walk per nine, which I love. 339 ERA. Sierra's right in line. He's a big command pitcher. There's a nice power slider in there. He just hits all the zones. It's something I really liked about McClanahan, even though the stuff was a little bit different, that he really just was zoned out throughout this entire year, and that changeup completely changed his game. Uh, the Mariners also seem to have kind of a widespread, just you know, pitching change talk going on. I really, uh, Bryce Miller, who I spoke to, you know, added the sweeper and the gyro. Kind of wonder if you're going to see some alterations with uh, George Kirby this year as well. Just give me like low walk, high 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 command, good strikeout pitcher on a really good team. I think George Kirby could definitely take the next step. Maybe not be the number one pitcher for the whole half of a season, but I think he could be the next, you know, Walmart version of Shane McClanahan from 2022. The ADP for George Kirby is 108.8, 34th starting pitcher off the board. Let's do a little Kirby or this guy. Welsh, would you rather have Kirby or Clayton Kershaw? Ooh, Kirby. Kirby or Nestor Cortez? Kirby. Kirby or his teammate, Logan Gilbert? Ooh, that's a really, uh, it is Kirby right now, but that's really close. I actually have like Gilbert and Kershaw right near each other. Yeah, I, I think I would say Kirby over Gil- Gilbert as well. Kirby or Logan Webb? Ooh, I might go Logan Webb. There's a little bit of safety net there. That's a super good one. Yeah, I mean, there are six starting pitchers going within uh, nine picks of each other in terms of ADP. And those are basically all the names there. I didn't include Kyle Wright because... I think he's going to fall back a little bit now that he's dealing with that shoulder injury. This year, Shane McClanahan, for me, I'm going to go with uh, Nick Lodolo. And well, so I was a little surprised you didn't choose him because I I didn't want to interrupt, but I was (laughs) I wanted to start. If you had started with me, I would have said I was going to pick both of your guys. I literally sat and I was like, Javier, eh, no, Lodolo. eh, Those are both the guys I was thinking about. So I love your guys' choices. The biggest problem for Lodolo is obviously the team context. It's a lot like Hunter Green. I think the stuff for Lodolo is nasty. Uh, but obviously pitches in a terrible ballpark and he's on a bad team. So the run support is going to be pretty bad. But among pitchers with at least 100 innings pitched last year, 11.4 K per nine for Lodolo ranked eighth. His 20.9% K minus walk rate ranked 18th. He's got a nasty curveball already. One of the best in baseball. 136 batting average against 46% whiff rate. There was a really good breakdown by Justin Choi. It's an article on Fangraphs where apparently Lodolo changed the shape of his curveball midseason, and it got even better. So I I know he's kind of only like fastball, sinker, curveball for now. I don't know that he needs anything else because it works for him right now. Uh, the command's got to get a little bit better, but there's big, big upside for Nick Lodolo this season. Ah, the one everyone came for. Who is this mm. year's Julio Rodriguez? The, I get it. The answer is probably nobody, but... It's a fun exercise, isn't it? The prospect hitter who makes the opening day roster and has a breakout season. I think especially if we're drafting right now, it's probably someone you're getting outside the top 100, top 150 picks. And if we get confirmation that they're making the team by opening day, they're probably going to move up like 50 or 100 picks. So I think that like a lot of these players we're going to talk about fit that mold. Uh, And Welsh, 
we're talking prospects, so we'll go to you first. Yeah, and uh, funny little anecdotal thing. Frank had written down a player, and I thought he mistakenly put it on on me. So I copied it. I pasted it over to his. I wrote Corbin Carroll, and I was like, well, Corbin Carroll is probably not what he means. And then I put Andrew Painter. And then Frank was like, hey, by the way, uh, I just want to, like, I wrote one in for you because I knew who this is your pick. I was like, oh, that, I can have him? Yes, this is exactly who I would have picked. Otherwise, I did actually have Andrew Painter. That player is Jordan Walker. I've talked about how, also, if you want to talk about game resembling game, that might be the closest one that you can do. Walker, 19 homers uh, this past year in Double A, 22 stolen and bases also went to the AFL where he did a little bit more of that moved to right field played some center field low strikeout rates hit 300 in the minors was almost a 345 slash and what has fascinated me the most is the Cardinals this offseason moving Tyler O'Neill or wanting to to center field and having him and Dylan Carlson battle it out that's given a spot locked down for Lars Newtbar and it kind of opens up this opportunity. They have put in Carl. They have put Carlson over and right. But they really want to give this job in center to O'Neill, and that to me, if they feel comfortable with it, opens up the opportunity. I really think they're open to Walker breaking camp. I think a trade could happen. I think they want to know what type of versatility they have. Newt Bar played a little bit of center. Walker played center in the AFL. It's all about flexibility. And Jordan Walker, if he does break camp, he is a hundred percent a 2020 potential guy with big, big power upside, even further than that. And he would be the most resembling of uh, Julio Rodriguez. So, Welsh, his ADP is on the rise. Of course, he hits one mammoth home run in spring training. People get excited. It was a 430-foot bomb off of Johnny Cueto. So, you know, it's it was his first plate appearance, too. It's just crazy stuff. I took Jordan Walker. I picked 200 in TGFBI. Do you think that's an okay price tag? Yep, I have him on my ranks. I have him inside the top 200. Uh, him, uh, as far as rookies go, the only rookies, if you don't count Gunner and Corbin Carroll, and I might be forgetting someone, I'm not considering Senga when I talk about this. Inside the top 200, I have Miguel Vargas, Walker, and Grayson Rodriguez. They're all inside of there. So I thought you got a pretty good value on a buzzy player. I also got Corbin Carroll in that TGFBI, which I was shocked people let that happen. But hey, we'll, we'll reap the benefits on the rookies. All right, Towers, we're coming your way here. And Scott would be so proud. Yeah, I didn't want to double up on Jordan Walker, but that would be my pick. Just the the impact tools is, is what makes me think of Julio Rodriguez. But I went with Miguel Vargas, who just probably doesn't have like the super superstar upside, although his physical tools are pretty good, specifically the speed. You know, he wasn't a, a huge stolen base guy. It's not necessarily considered a huge part of his game. 94th percentile on sprint speed last season in the majors is pretty impressive. He's got excellent contact skills you know, good lineup. So it's, it's a situation where, okay, maybe he's not going to be, you know, a contender for a top five pick next season, but he's someone who absolutely we could t- be talking about as an early round pick next season. Who would you guys rather have right now, Jordan Walker or Miguel Vargas? I think it's tough because Walker has more upside, but Vargas we know is going to have a job. So I don't know. How do you weigh those two things? I think I would rather have Vargas right now, but it's also kind of like we're far enough away from the season where if I'm drafting tomorrow, I might just take Walker just because I've got time to figure it out if he doesn't break camp, you know? Yeah. I've got Vargas ahead and he would be kind of the guy fascinating too. I don't know if you've seen the thing where he said like he's not swinging at pitches in spring so far and he just hasn't swung at all and he's just taking walks and he's still not getting struck out, which is really crazy. 
The only thing that's interesting is third base is so bad that I have found myself when the, the, the tier falls off, you have that avalanche and then you're just stuck at the bottom that I kind of want to immediately start to pivot to take Jordan Walker and I'll take him early. And then I will pair him with like a Justin Turner, like an mm-hmm. old boring type of guy that might put up stats. Yeah. And that to me, if you can do that, especially in like a 12 team head to head, or if you think you have a little advantage in, ro- in a 15 team roto, I would take Walker above Vargas and go higher to do that, knowing and prioritizing that I can get one of those uh, solid third basemen to kind of back him up. Because you said it, the upside is in Walker's favor, but like we shouldn't sleep on Vargas. OBP leagues too, Vargas is uh, even more valuable, and he's going to have that second base gig all year and qualified second and first, which is pretty sweet. Yep, and the answer for me this year is Julio Rodriguez. I don't think he has enough upside to get there, but I think he's someone where if everything breaks right, he can be a top 50 player this season, and that is Ezekiel Tovar with the Colorado Rockies. I still just think he's going too far, uh, too late, for someone who is mm-hmm. a starter for the Colorado Rockies, and he's never had a strikeout rate higher than 21.7% at any level in the minors. He's a career 283 hitter, and he just had a breakout season in the minor leagues. He only played 71 games, but 319 batting average, 14 home runs, 17 steals, a 927 OPS. If everything breaks right... We could get a 280 uh, batting average, 15 to 20 homers, 15 to 20 steals. And that's probably a top 50 player. So I just think he's going way too late in drafts right now. I wanted to choose one of the Yankees guys, but I'm getting... You thought about Anthony Volpe as well. I'm getting nervous. I'm getting a little bit nervous. I liked Oswald Peraza all offseason. I still do like him. The problem here, Welsh, is that if Volpe does enough this throughout spring training, and he's already been on fire. He hit a home run. He has two steals already. He's going to force the Yankees' hand. What do they do? He's not on the 40-man roster yet. Does that mean him and Oswald Peraza are kind of splitting time to start the year if they're both on the team? I I just don't know how it would work out, and it's making me a little nervous. That's why I didn't choose one. I didn't under, I, I didn't understand what you're like. Why? I'm like, why are you nervous? Oh, you're nervous about Peraza, not about the whole situation, because Volpe looks every part of what I've been defending. So many people, the anti Volpeers out there are very, very much. They want to point back to the first two months of the season. That's all they care about. And, you know, oh, 256 and blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, the guy struggled in the first half and he completely rebounded the second half. He's a big power speed combo. He looks phenomenal <laughs> in the spring right now. I feel like the Yankees and how they've talked Unless, see, this is how I view it. I kind of don't think it matters what Volpe does unless it is just insanity. I think Peraza's got to really struggle for them to make this move because they've got to move someone off of the 40 man to get Volpe on there. I still think Volpe goes to AAA. I think Peraza gets it unless it's just struggle city. Um, But Volpe's going to be up sooner rather than later. And he might be a, a sneaky piece that we should be talking about in one of these sections you got coming up. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I get it with Volpe. The problem, again, I just wonder if he somehow forces the Yankees' hand and they're like, okay, we're going to promote Volpe. He's up on opening day. How does everything play out? Like, someone's losing playing time. Is it Glaber Torres? Do they just bench Josh Donaldson? That would be my answer, but they're still paying him $25 million. So I I feel like he's not going to go away yet. And they have DJ LeMahieu. So it's just kind of making me a little bit nervous. Who is this year's Jose Barrios? Let's move kind of quickly through these. I want to get to, back to the prospect ones. They're they're more fun, yeah. in my opinion. A top 30 starting pitcher that unexpectedly implodes this season. Towers, we'll start with you. Yeah, I'm going to go with Dylan Cease, a guy who I certainly like. I think he's a talented pitcher, but like the big breakout for Dylan Cease last season mostly came from 
getting much better results on balls in play. He went from a 383 expected Woba on contact last in 2021 to 313 last year. That is going from a solidly below average mark to one of the best marks for any starting pitcher in baseball. Uh, And the problem with that is pitchers have some control over the quality of contact they allow. Obviously, we all know that. But it's a very noisy stat from year to year, whether it's noisy because pitchers just don't have that much control over it. Maybe it's noisy because it takes a long time to stabilize, whatever it is. He actually had a worse strikeout rate last season than he did in 2021. He had a worse walk rate in 2022 than he did in 2021. So if the quality of contact metrics regress, he's someone I I could see being, you know, very, very mediocre. Now, a lot of the quality contact metrics were backed up by, you know, he was really good in average exit velocity loud and XBA and all the stats that we look at in terms of that. So it's not, I'm not saying it's a fluke necessarily. I'm just saying that he's the kind of guy who could have a relatively slim margin for error especially given how often he just seems out of whack. And last year he was able to pull himself out of it, but I could just see things, you know, kind of snowballing for Dylan Cease. All right. Well, so we'll move on to you here. Uh, this year's Jose Barrios, a top 30 starting pitcher that unexpectedly implodes. Yeah, I'll, I'll be pretty quick about this one. Tristan McKenzie is just not the guy that I find myself ever drafting. Gets hit pretty hard, uh, lower 26 percentile of hard hit. Uh, exit velocity is in the lower 10 percent. He doesn't get a whole bunch of strikeouts. Uh, he's median line as far as like batting average given up and strikeouts and stuff like that. And um, he had about a run and a half differential between his ERA and or actually it was just a little under a run on his ERA and XFIP with a Sierra that's kind of in that same range. I just don't like the three-year decline on K percentage overall. And I just don't think uh, it might not be a Barrios type fall, but I just don't think the the walk rate is going to continue with him. And if the strikeouts continue to go, I think it just kind of depletes some of the value. So I don't think this is like a skyrocketing fall or anything like that, but Tristan McKenzie would be my pick. Yeah, I think I kind of took the low-hanging fruit on this one, and it's Robbie Ray for me. And last year, we saw some warning signs. Strikeouts came down. The walks went up. The swinging strike rate went from 15.5% in that Cy Young season to 13.5% last year. Now, he did make some adjustments. He started throwing a sinker, and he was much better over his final 20 starts. So maybe he carries that over. But we've just kind of we've seen the floor out of Robbie Ray. And... Things could go south very quickly where if the control gets bad and he starts giving up home runs, then things could just really kind of spiral out of control for Robbie Ray. Uh, And as a result, he's not somebody I find myself targeting often in drafts this season. Who is this year's Michael Harris, a prospect who gets called up midseason and makes a huge impact? Let's go with a hitter whilst you're up. Yeah, I'm going to actually double dip. So I changed mine, and Frank might have saw this. The original guy I had on here was Jordan Lawler. I, I like that one, too. I like Lawler, yeah, too, though. And I'll explain it is because uh, Nick Ahmed's already hurt, and he's always hurt, and he'll continue to be hurt. The very beginning of spring, they actually put Lawler in that spot, starting at shortstop in the first couple of games, and they let him get prime opportunity with the Major League team and start. They've moved over to Perdomo, who would be the prime guy. Rojas is not touching it. So guess what? Rojas is out of the picture. That's, I think, an important thing here as well. Perdomo can't hit. I love the guy personally. He can't hit. He's an okay defender. So what that does, especially midseason, if the Diamondbacks are middling, this leaves this opportunity where they want Lawler to come up. They've primed him to come up. Here you go. 
Jordan, Jordan Lawler could come up and do it. But I pivoted because the conversation we're having, Anthony Volpe is the answer. He's the easy answer that jumps out into my mind for everything we've talked about. He might break camp. I think the Yankees love him. They might move off of Glaber Torres at some point. If, if Peraza struggles, he's going to get into that opportunity. He had a huge bounce back. So 44 bases in double A with 18 homers. Came up to AAA. Batting average was still a little bit stinky, but he stole six bases, hit three more homers. So that's 50 stolen bases this past year and over 20 homers. It's crazy, crazy stats. He seems locked in in spring, striking the ball, hitting the ball hard. Defender is a little bit in question, and that's where I think it's really like fun to watch is that Glaber Torres, if he were to move off this team or move him to third, Volpe really does look like he might be more lined to be a second baseman. That's what we want. Praza at short, Volpe at second, prime guy to come up and be a Michael Harris this year. Anthony Volpe with one B being Jordan Lawler. And for what it's worth, Volpe did start at second base on Thursday uh, in a spring training game, and he hit a leadoff home run against Mitch Keller. So I'm not sure that it really counts because, you know, whatever. It's Mitch <laughs> Keller, but yeah, he's got a new cutter, Frank. What are you yeah, talking about? yeah, he's got like six pitches now. Maybe uh, yeah. one of them will be good. <laughs> Maybe. Towers, let's go to you. I think this is a fantastic answer. I thought about putting this one there for myself. Uh, a prospect who gets called up midseason and makes a huge impact. Yeah, I mean, you you want someone who's already gotten to double A and performed, and that's Ellie De La Cruz for the Cincinnati Reds. He's got pretty big strikeout issues, 158 in 120 games last season. That's a little concerning. Despite that, he hit 304 with a 945 OPS last season. He was productive at high A. He was productive at double A as a 20-year-old at double A. Got to double A, played... 47 games, hit eight homers, stole 19 bases. It's a very, very fantasy-friendly profile if the contact issues don't sink him. it's a That's a big enough red flag that I think there's a, a decent amount of risk there. But Ellie De La Cruz, you also love anyone who gets to play in Cincinnati. So he's someone who should be up by midseason and has the potential to be a very impactful fantasy option. Yeah, Ellie De La Cruz has drawn comps to O'Neill Cruz. He's a big-bodied dude as well. I mean, electric bat bat speed, big power, lots of speed in general. And if he plays every day in Cincinnati, I mean, the upside could be massive. It just comes down to the strikeouts for him. You know, I want to just add crazy as I've – I'm lucky. I feel lucky enough. I have been in person with both of these players, O'Neill Cruz and Ellie De La Cruz. And I'll tell you, I was uh, around Ellie uh, last Saturday, and he's a different body type in person than O'Neill Cruz. O'Neill Cruz definitely has just kind of skinnier limbs. He's growing into Ellie De La Cruz looks jacked. I, he stood out like a sore thumb in that Reds crew when I was there when they were running the fields and stuff. He had big shoulders that's going to continue to grow. It was almost just like a skinnier Aaron Judge or something like that out there. He is an impressive physical specimen, and I like this pick. That is Ellie De La Cruz with the Cincinnati Reds. And my pick is maybe more of an unheralded prospect. It feels like maybe there's some fatigue on him. I don't know why. I I really like him. Dustin Harris with the Texas Rangers. I think there's all the opportunity in the world here, too, because they just signed Robbie Grossman to a one-year, $2 million deal. That's not going to stop Dustin Harris if he's ready to go. He played 85 games last season at AA. He hit 257 with 17 home runs, 19 steals, routinely solid strikeout rates. We're talking below, right around or below 20%. He walks a lot. He's got power and speed. The year prior, 2021, Dustin Harris, 327 batting average, 20 homers, 25 steals. I mean, to me, this is like the perfect Michael Harris comp where he'd come up and be a five category contributor for the Texas Rangers this season. 
Welsh, is there anything that you've seen, heard, know about Dustin Harris that like there isn't more hype around him because the minor league numbers look really, really good? So um, I've seen Dustin a couple times in Rangers camp because for whatever reason, I've been there a whole bunch. And he is always locked in with Evan Carter. Those two run one and the same. But I do know is the Rangers covet Evan Carter. I'm not saying he would get the opportunity beforehand, but the bat might be a little bit ready. And Dustin Harris has moved positions. They've also, they did do some weird stuff that, you know, you said they decided Robbie Grossman. They also have um, Clint Frazier, who's on the NRI, who they've been kind of running out there. They've got a couple of those options, like Brad Miller is there as well. I don't, I don't hate this one at all, but I got to tell you, if it's a mid-season one, I actually think Evan Carter, who I think hit double A uh, this year, would be the guy that they push because this team is crazy about him and sky's the limit. I kind of think Dustin is maybe stuck to like a left field or maybe they would put him in at first, like if there's an injury. But I like this one because he is kind of a five-tool player. He does have a little bit more versatility and it's him and Evan Carter, I think, that are the next lineup for those kind of like corner outfield and he has that maybe first base potential as well. Evan Carter got six games in at double A last season, so I'd imagine he starts there and if he plays well, uh, maybe can earn himself a shot. I did want to mention Royce Lewis. He was like the first one that came to mind. He's coming back Me from too. a second torn ACL, I, I believe in the same knee, right? So uh, he, we're probably not going to see him until June or July, but second half of the season, this guy could make a huge impact for the Minnesota Twins. So just remember the name as we get closer to the All-Star, uh, the, the all-star break. Royce Lewis there. Let's take one more break, and when we get back, who is this year's Spencer Strider? Find out on Fantasy Baseball today. Apartments.com has helped millions of renters find their perfect places. And the beauty is they're all different. None of us are the same. So why should our homes be? Someone may want hardwood floors. Someone else may say carpet all the way. Questionable call, but hey, to each their own. Some may want a doorman. Others may say, I can open the door myself. But Apartments.com has all the right tools to help you find the place that's uniquely perfect for you. Sort through and filter listings by amenities. And make sure you never miss out with their instant alert option. With more than one million available units for rent, you're sure to find the place that's right for you. So whether you're looking for a place with a basement, a yard, a pool, or everything in between, Apartments.com has got you covered. Visit Apartments.com, the place to find a place. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Who is this year's Spencer Strider, a pitcher who has an uncertain role entering the season but makes a huge fantasy impact? Towers, we'll actually start with you on this one. Who's your pick? 
Yeah, I said this on yesterday's podcast on one of the two podcasts that we did yesterday, or maybe it was on the one we did Thursday afternoon. I can't remember. They're all blurring together. Uh, Grayson Rodriguez has a good chance to be this year. Spencer Strider. It's really hard to be this year. Spencer Strider, like Julio Rodriguez, but Grayson Rodriguez probably not going to get the types of innings totals that you want. I don't know if he's even reached 100 in his professional career, but Everyone still thinks this guy is arguably the best pitching prospect in baseball. He dealt with that. I think it was a lat injury last year, or pectoral, something like that. Uh, but not the kind of thing that you think would linger. And, you know, he was averaging 98 miles per hour with his fastball in his first spring outing. He uh, said that his stuff is better than it was last season. He was already the top pitching prospect in baseball this time last season. And he plays in an awesome home park now, or he's going to because Camden Yards is a death for hitters now. So I, I think Grayson Rodriguez is very well situated to be a very impactful fantasy option for as long as he's on the mound this season. All right. Nice pick there with uh, Grayson Rodriguez, likely to be in the opening day rotation. So uh, I'm surprised his ADP hasn't climbed more than it is. Yeah. And, and let me... Let me just pull up that ADP just to make sure here. According to Fantasy Pros, 185.2. I feel like if we knew the top pitching prospect was going to be in the rotation in years past, the ADP would be higher than 185.2. It feels like a pretty good uh, discount right now on Grayson Rodriguez. Welsh, we'll go to you. Who is this year's Spencer Strider? Yeah, I thought about, um, I struggled with like the idea of this because I feel like there's less of those like questionable roles because I also wanted to say like Ricky Tiedemann would be one of those players and Andrew Painter, but I don't think their roles are in question. It's just about like, when do they come up? One that's kind of been teetering that I picked was Hunter Brown. Hunter Brown coming into this season looked like it might be in more of a leverage relief situation, but good old Lance McCullers never hits the field. May never again. I mean, he will, but he may never again, if you know what I mean. And Hunter Brown is going to most likely get an opportunity to get back into that rotation. Uh, great curveball last year, 30% whiff rate. He's got two pitches, uh, the cutter and the fastball that are in the 90s. There's a good variation, 13 plus mile per hour difference between the lows on the curveball and the fastball. I'd love to see the slider uptick because he did get hit hard a little bit in his stint in the major leagues last year on the fastball and the curve both had a uh, 92 plus EV on them where the slider really no one could get on top of. He only threw that 13% of the time. I mean, let's get going. Emulate Verlander, emulate your favorite, add more pitches. It's a great organization to do that. And I think he's one of those guys where if he gets in the rotation and finds early success, they won't be able to take him out. I, at this point, I don't know how they can even fool themselves into doing this. Lance, put Lance McCullers in relief. Like, just get him in short leverage stuff. Maybe you can keep him healthy. Uh, so I would say he fits the perfect mold of, like, this strider. What type of role does he have in the year? And uh, hopefully 150-plus innings and a big fantasy season ahead. Wow. So I just pulled up the last seven days of NFBC ADP to see how much Hunter Brown has climbed. 184 is the ADP. Going just behind who? Grayson Rodriguez. So you have to make the decision. Who do you want? Welsh? Which one do you want? I think, oh, I think I do want Grayson. I agree. Like, I have a really hard time not taking it. There's also something so special to me about him working with Adley again. But Hunter might be able to push in. I think they're pretty close on innings. I think these are dead close. But I would probably take, like, Someone could come and take over that Hunter Brown role. I'm not saying that that's not a possibility, and I don't think that's going to happen with Grayson, so I would take him. Towers, how about you? Yeah, I would go with Grayson. I I think there are a lot of things to like about Hunter Brown, but 
I think Grayson's a more talented player and he's got a more guaranteed role. So I'll just go with that. I took this exercise way too literally, and I'm kind of hedging my bet here. I'm going to give you two names. Luis Ortiz of the Pirates and D.L. Hall of the Orioles. So I wanted to find pitchers with a big velocity, a big breaking ball, struggles with control, just like Spencer Strider. And we don't know with both of these guys what their role is going to be entering the season. So I think it's perfect. Luis Ortiz, obviously the Pirates aren't playing for much this year. I, I think before long, they're going to give him a shot. He's someone I know Eno Saris loves a lot too. So I, yeah. I've heard him talk about. Fun fact, Frank, I yep. just want to tell you too, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but in uh, the Scott White Auction League, uh, I screwed up and messed up myself because you and I decided to get into bidding war of human uh, <laughs> Choi. And I screwed up because my entire plan was to go after Luis Ortiz. That's who I wanted. But for some reason, I got so compelled about needing that first baseman because I only had Hosmer. I did it, and then I did not have the guns. I didn't have the bullets to get in on Luis Ortiz, and that I was really upset about that. So you had Eric Hosmer on your team, and you outbid me on G-Man Choi. You wouldn't let me have G-Man Choi in a 2014 Because league. I had Eric Hosmer. <laughs> I had Eric Hosmer. What am I supposed to do? That, do you guys understand? G-Man Choi and, like... Christian Betancourt was all that was left at that position. Oh, that I, was know. It. I know it. I know nothing. My, my starting first baseman in the Scott White Dynasty League is a platoon of Lamont Wade and Harold Ramirez. So <laughs> making me feel really good about my Trey Mancini for $20. Oh, you got cheaper. an all-star. Oh gosh. That's so gross. DL Hall, similar thing. Uh, I think he's got some nasty secondary pitches. Can't command the fastball. He throws hard. He's a left-handed pitcher. I think there's lots of like, he probably starts out in a bullpen role. He's been slowed down by a back injury to start. Uh, but eventually, if he works into the rotation, I think there could be a lot of upside with DL Hall. All right. That is, who is this year's blank? Lots of fun names there. Uh, quickly run through news and notes because I want to ask the Welsh some questions about what's going on there. What's going out in Arizona outside of the snow, of course. Some news and notes. Brendan Rodgers has significant damage to the capsule of his left shoulder and could be facing season-ending surgery. Harold Castro and Cole Tucker are both non-roster invites. I don't know who else is, could potentially play second or shortstop for this team unless they make a move. So if anything happens to Rodgers, it's probably those next two names up, and that's it, pretty gross. Joe Musgrove is expected to miss at least two regular season starts as he recovers from a fractured toe. Cubs manager David Ross said... That's Nico, not bad, though. Yeah. Like, obviously, at least is, you know, carrying a lot of weight, but, like, if he really only misses, like, 12 days of the regular season, he's probably still worth a top 100 pick. I was at Padres camp the day it happened and the news broke down, and one of the coaches, one of the fans yelled to the, I, I don't remember the coach, I think it was like a Avila or something, and they was just like, hey, how's Joe? Is he going to be okay? And the coach, he was like, doesn't look good. And I was like, wow, I'm surprised he even said that. That's way better than we thought. And I got him at 130 in TGFBI because of this scare, and I feel very good about after that after hearing about the only two missed starts. Yeah, I mean, that that's a good point, and... The other day when it happened, I kind of assumed, all right, maybe he misses two or three starts to start the year. I didn't lower him in my rankings because he represents the end of a tier. Like, I don't want to move him behind Robbie Ray and Tristan McKenzie if he's only going to miss two, two or three starts. So I did wind up moving Musgrove down for now. But if this actually comes to fruition, I'm going to move him back up inside my top 30 starting pitchers. Cubs manager David Ross said Nico Horner will be his leadoff hitter to begin the season. Nice little breakout last year. He hit 280 with 10 home runs and 20 steals. Makes a lot of contact, just an 11% strikeout rate. Noah Syndergaard's fastball has topped out at 93 miles per hour so far in Dodgers camp. 
That's according to Juan Toribio of MLB.com. Jack Flaherty had his Grapefruit League debut pushed back to Sunday due to lower half discomfort. Poor guy just can't stay healthy. Cubs president Jed Hoyer said Seiya Suzuki is in, quote, strong jeopardy of missing the start of the regular season with that oblique injury. Oblique injuries are so tough because it's just like, it really seems like obliques more than any other injury. There's just like a really wide timetable and it's, you have to be so, so careful with them because you see so many setbacks with oblique injuries. That's like, I guess he could be back for opening day. It wouldn't surprise me if he was out until May. Yeah, you know, that's just kind of how these things work. Obliques are really, really tricky for hitters, too. David Peralta is expected to start in left field versus right-handed pitching with Trace Thompson in the short side of the platoon. Tanner Howe could be in line to open the season in the Red Sox rotation with Garrett Whitlock and Brian Bayo behind schedule. He does have SPARP eligibility on CBS, and I want him in the Scott. He White was uh, very bad today uh, was in he? his spring debut. I believe so, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, I think I saw that. You're probably right. I'm trying to find the for some reason the, I thought he red, did really well, and I was excited to draft him. But uh, four walks, and no no runs or hits in an inning and a third, but four walks, two strikeouts. Uh, yeah, so not great. Kind of a mixed bag. More bad than good, honestly. Daniel Hudson is unlikely to be ready for opening day due to right ankle tendonitis. That's big news because we could be uh, starting the season with Evan Phillips in the row in, in the rotation, uh, not in the rotation, in the closers role. DL Hall will not be ready to start by opening day. He's dealing with a back injury and won't have enough time to be stretched out. I mentioned Ozzy Albies thinks he's going to go 40-40 this season. And Yankees catcher prospect Austin Wells will be sidelined six to eight weeks with a fractured rib. What is the word with the Welsh? Well, let's find out. Another week of bullpens with Jacob deGrom and Welsh. How's he looking out there? Yeah, I was lucky. I was actually lucky enough to be there when he threw the session up on the video. If you guys are checking out on the YouTube, we can see it here. You got Bruce Bochy on the right, Mike Maddox in the middle. DeGrom threw a pretty intense session. Um, you you saw a point where he kind of like edged a little bit and you were like, oh, is he OK? This was like round three of what looked like a ton of fastballs. I think he threw 40 to 50 pitches. The entire organization was out there. Chris Young, the GM, was there. All the pitchers were watching. Uh, you can't see them to the right. Jack Leiter is over there. Dane Dunning. They're all watching him, maybe you know, freaking out like you all kind of expect. But uh, he looked good. He was hitting zones. They actually use these ropes. It's really interesting on the backstop of the catchers. You could see it in my Jack Leiter video. There's these ropes that represent the zone. And it was zone every single time. Not Definitely not like when Kamar Rocker throws. Uh, Jacob deGrom <laughs> was pumping the zone every single time. He seemed comfortable. It was cold here as well, just pointing out. And he was smiling after, which was like, I was paying attention to him after it was all done just to see, was everything okay? Was he holding anything? But I think this is a really, really good sign because I believe he's throwing one more session and then he's getting in a game. So I think that's going to line up to, I think, Probably late next week, uh, mid to late next week, he could get into his first game because he's going to throw one more session, which I was speculating is going to be maybe Sunday. So uh, very, very encouraging for Jacob DeGrom. Towers, does this change anything for you when it comes to DeGrom? I kind of feel like we're exactly where we were last offseason. And you made a great point then. You said, all right, he might be healthy now. I have no idea if this means he's going to be healthy in the season. Yeah, I didn't move him down when this happened because it was it appeared to be minor enough that it just didn't it didn't move me one way or the other. I've got him as my 
Number eight starting pitcher. I don't feel great about that in either direction, frankly. That that's one that like I could move him three spots higher or five spots lower, and I could totally justify it either way. So I haven't moved him down. It's not a situation where, for me, it's not like is Jacob Degrom healthy. It's can he stay healthy. That that's the bigger question. You know, if he's healthy, he's going to be, I think, the best pitcher in baseball. And so, I, I haven't really moved him at all yet. We yeah. got some video of uh, Blake Snell versus Juan Soto, and I'll pull that up. How did Snell look in your opinion? He, he's someone that I've been targeting as an SP three. It's him and Lance Lynn, depending on what I need. I mean, those are the two that I keep falling back on as an SP three. What do you think about Blake Snell? And I mean, can we get that slider? Can we get more of the slider, please? Well, I love Blake Snell, and I'm drafting all of it. What I found very fascinating, this session was against Nelson Cruz and Juan Soto. They went up against each other, I want to say three or four times, and he sorted Soto a couple times. This is a long at bat where the most important thing was I didn't see a changeup. And right there, the very first pitch we're watching, he blows a fastball by Soto, takes him to his knees. He ends up throwing like a curveball in one or two pitches that actually hits this camera behind. And I just didn't see the changeup working. He was trying to, you know, pump slider on the outside. This was the pitch mix that I wanted. And Nelson Cruz and Soto didn't make great contact against him. So he pumped a second fastball right past Juan Soto. I thought it was really, really great stuff. He mixed it around. Best hit we saw was Soto hitting something opposite field left, but it probably would have been caught. Neither one of them got great contact on him. He looked pretty confident even after, which I think this is going to be the in or I guess it's the next one. There's Oh, no, that was the one right there where it bounced and it hit the camera behind. Uh, it was really, really impressive stuff. I think he felt really confident. And, you know, you see him succeed against Juan Soto. You kind of feel good about it. It's just a session on the backfield, though. But I just love not seeing, you know, the change up. Yeah. That's what I don't want to see. Obviously, we don't want to put too much stock into uh, yeah, that curveball was is. insane for those watching us here on YouTube. Um, I don't want to put too much stock into something like this, but he made tangible changes last year. And in the second half, Blake Snell was tremendous. So, I mean, we've been begging him for years, hey, just get rid of the changeup, throw slider curveball, and big things can happen. I, I know this is kind of anecdotal, but Towers, I, I kind of buy into the contract year thing. It just wouldn't surprise me if Blake Snell goes out and he shoves, and he's like, okay, contract year, goes out, has an awesome season, and then someone pays him big money next offseason. Yeah, he's in a blob at starting pitcher for me. Like, he's 35, so I, I think I'm neither out nor in on him. I think I'm right around where... Uh, he belongs. There are guys I like more. I think I like Nestor Cortez more. If he's if I'm going a little earlier, I think I like Chris Sale a little more in that same range. I, I think I don't know. Blake Snell probably is what he is, right? Like it's one of those the, the the analogy that I like to use is like we get mad at Blake Snell for being inconsistent. We're like, why can't you be more consistent? And it's like. It's like going outside on a sunny day and staring at the sun and then getting mad at the sun that your eyes are hurting. Like, <laughs> you knew what the sun was. You know what Blake Snell is. He's probably not going to give you a ton of innings. He's probably going to give you very, very good strikeout numbers per inning. ERA and whip, ah, that's the question. I, I, It's not a profile that I love. It's hard to see a path to 180 innings for him. I think even 150 innings is probably a little iffy. Even at his best, he's never been efficient. So it's not a player I love. I don't hate him, but I, I don't see myself drafting a lot of Blake Snell. 
July 1st on fifth uh, best K percentage among starters and the tied for fourth best K per nine from July 1st on it. I, I buy into everything you're saying. I just I'm a sucker for big strikeouts and he was pretty dominant July 1st on in the year. And he's on a fantastic team with the San Diego Padres, yeah. too. So not going to go as deep as like other workhorses into his starts because he hit he is inefficient Blake Snell. But, you know, if he goes five or six, he might give you a good shot at a win. Let's wrap up here. Well, she did an hour-long interview with Drew Jones, the second overall pick with the Diamondbacks last season, and people can listen to that entire interview over on Prospect One. Did you get anything juicy? How's the shoulder rehab coming? Anything you learned from Drew Jones? Well, I definitely didn't get an hour. Uh, the, uh, the episode is an hour. Oh, he, yeah. <laughs> I got about 10 minutes with Drew. Fair enough. Uh, I was in, I was, uh, that'd be awesome if I did. We would have talked about tons of stuff. Um, <laughs> I was invited to the Tops Spot House where essentially what it was, it was like all these guys come and autograph their cards. I, Cor- Corbin Carroll was there when I was there. Uh, Matt Mervis was there signing cards. And I was given an opportunity to chat with uh, Drew. And uh, he's a very fascinating kid. But one of the first questions out of my mouth was asking about how the shoulder was and, ha- you know, had he spoken to either Lawler or Carroll? He said he did. He, he wasn't going to detail about it. But the best thing out of it was that he said he is going to be playing in minor league spring training games here. And I think that's kind of been in question. I actually saw him the next day and he was in uniform, uh, hitting in the cages and going on the backfield. So when minor league spring training starts up in about a week and a half, he'll be playing in games, which I think is fantastic for his entire rehab process. And it's going to be, you know, where Jackson Holiday has been in everybody's face. I think it's going to be really good for people to start seeing like what he can do. I also chatted with him about that very, uh, as far as he he, he goes, this famous moment where all those kids were booing him. And then he crushes this homer (laughs) when he's hitting 500. And I asked him, we talked about that moment and he... He was actually excited to talk about that. A few things he was a little like, you know, very athlete answery. Uh, he was pretty forthcoming on that specific one. But yeah, it was a good conversation. Very smart kid, uh, almost taller than me, and I'm almost six foot four. So um, maybe it was just how I was standing. But very, very, very talented kid. And yeah, you can check it out over at uh, Prospect One. And hopefully, I'll have some video here for you soon of him actually in game because that is what we want a completely healthy Drew Jones. All right, we're going to wrap there for the Chris is Towers and the Welsh. I am Frank Dickel for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow with a mailbag. Bye-bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.